0: Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that he has in store for you. Good morning, Crossroads. Good morning to everybody who's watching online around the region, around the country, around our nation, and around our world. Before we get started, I wanna just give a big kudos to our worship team, way to lead us in worship. Thanks so much for doing that. And for our incredible, incredible staff who's keeping us connected. And also kudos to you who's staying connected. As every day we pray together, we lift each other up, and we stay connected in different ways. And thank God for the technology that enables us to do that. And speaking of reaching people, uh, we're reaching more people and more people every week with uh, through these uh, through these connections and uh, through these messages and things. Even I was told last week we had new people watching from from China and from England and from Switzerland. So to all you first time. Uh, watchers and repeat. God bless you, and we're so glad that you're part of the Crossroads family. I want to let everybody know. Also, I'll remind everybody that it's Easter next week, and that means uh, invite people, invite people, share with them this opportunity. Because if each one of us just reached out to one person and uh, and invited them, we would reach thousands of people for the kingdom of God this uh, this week. In a, a few moments, we're going to be uh, celebrating communion together. We're going to do something really cool that even though we're scattered around the country and around the world in thousands of different places, we're going to try to have communion together at the same time. But before we do that, I want us to, to really consider and think about what is entailed in communion, that what are we supposed to be remembering, that Jesus talked about his broken body and his, his poured out blood, and we're going, to, we're going to just take a moment to remember that. Because uh, this Friday is called Good Friday. And that's kind of a weird name when you think about it because it, uh, it w- it's very, very good for us. It, it enables us to be able to have salvation. But it was very, very bad for Jesus. And as we take a look at this week and some of the things that happened during, during Holy Week, we get a pretty good insight into just the, the human condition and in human nature for instance, that on Palm Sunday, everybody's yelling, uh, so many people are, are yelling, Hail, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And they're worshiping Jesus as he comes by on a, on a donkey. But only five days later, count them, five days later, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him crucified. In fact, when they were given a choice between a murderer and an insurrectionist named Barabbas or Jesus Christ, they chose the murder. Later on, on the night that Jesus was be betrayed, he celebrated uh, with his, uh, the Last Supper. But you know what? So he's pouring out his heart to his disciples, pouring out what's about to happen to him and, and how the Holy Spirit is going to come. And what are they doing? What are the disciples doing? They're arguing, and what are they arguing about? They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. What does that tell us about uh, about human nature? And then later on in the garden that evening, Jesus said, please be with me, pray with me, stay with me this time. And instead of them doing that, they couldn't stay awake and they're snoring when they should be lifting up Jesus and supporting him and praying for him. And uh, and then there's one person that's gonna come and and betray him, betray him for 30 pieces of silver, I want us to think about that, that the Son of God was betrayed for money. What does that tell us about human nature? And then later on, the religious leaders, Jesus was brought before the religious leaders, and and these were the very people that were waiting for the coming Messiah, and their Messiah was standing right in front of them, and they didn't recognize him. In fact, you want to hear something weird, is they accused the Son of God of blasphemy uh, for claiming he was the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that they handed Jesus over out of jealousy. Again, what does that tell us about human nature? That, that, that we, we turned over the Son of God out of jealousy. They were, they were jealous because Jesus was getting more, more crowds and more popularity than they were. And they were willing to give up their Messiah for the sake of popularity. And speaking of popularity, then the, Jesus was brought before Pilate later on. And, and Pilate had declared him innocent time after time after time. But the Bible says because he wanted to satisfy the crowd, he handed over Jesus to be flogged. All of this for peer pressure. What does that tell us about human nature? Those four words, he had Jesus flogged, are powerful words. They may not mean as much to us or impact us because we've never seen a flogging. Now, some of us may have felt like we were being flogged as, as children. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you were ever uh, hit with a, a belt or a, a switch or a paddle or anything like that? I don't know about you. Uh, I was. Uh, we never had time out when I was growing up. We had the belt. And the worst thing is, is we had to go get the belt. Can anybody relate to that? Um, my dad, sometimes when we, we weren't punished a lot, but when we were, he'd say, go get the belt. And it was like dead man walking, man. We'd walk in there and we'd have to grab the belt, the very instrument of torture that he was going to use on us in just a, a moment. I remember one time we were giving uh, one of our children, we were going to give them a little slot and they, and they knew it. So they asked if, if they could go in their bedroom for a, for a moment. And we were curious as to what was up and we said, okay. And, and our daughter came out and, and uh, her rear end was about that wide or that thick. Because she had put on every pair of underwear that she that she owned to try to reduce the 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 little um, paddle, but see Jesus wasn't just swatted or just uh, hit with a with a, a belt or a little paddle. He was flogged. Uh, the Romans called flogging halfway death. What it involved was a, a lictor, who was the the trained torturer, and if, uh, that's where we get the the word or the term uh, taking a licking. He would, he would uh, put the person up where, so the back was, was very taut. And then he would take the, the whip, which was usually a cat of nine tails that had pottery and broken glass on it and lead at the end to make it way more. And then he would, he would hit the, the other person and then twist and turn and yank. And there would pieces, they, uh, most of the time, they would only do 40 uh, whippings because at, uh, the, any more than that would, would kill the person. And usually after 20, they would have to change sides because there wasn't enough meat to, to rip anymore. One historian in those days said scourging reduced the human body to strips of human flesh and inflamed bleeding uh, wounds. And it was not uncommon for people to even die from a flogging or at least go unconscious. And you know how they'd wake the people up if they went unconscious? They would throw salt water on them so they would inflict pain in order to wake them up to give them more pain. And Let's go on. The Bible says this, He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. There weren't just a few people in a company. I don't know what your picture of what happened to Jesus was, but uh, a company was 400 soldiers. So imagine there there weren't just a few people watching all this happen. There were hundreds of people, hundreds of soldiers inflicting this pain on Jesus. They mocked him, they put a robe on him and fell down in mock worship. The wild thing is, is is 32 years before this happened, other people bowed down before Jesus. Those were the magi, the wise men. But there was a difference because they meant it when they bowed before Jesus and offered their gifts to, to him. And the wild thing is that Jesus was exactly who they were mocking him to be. He was the king. Not only was he the king, he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The second thing is, is they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And these were between three quarters of an inch and three inches long, big Judean thorns. And this is the amazing thing, that he gave up the crown of heaven so he could wear a crown of thorns for us. That we could get a crown that we don't deserve because he got a crown that, uh, that we deserve. Another thing they did is spit on him. This one's amazing to me. I mean, the lictor, at least he was just doing his job. He was doing his his torturous job, but when they spit on him, I mean, what does that show us about human nature? Because here they were spitting on a completely defenseless person who was about to die. Just shows us a lot about the human heart. They also disrobed him. There There were two times where Jesus stood naked. One of them was as he was about to be whipped. The other one, he was on the cross the Bible says they divided his, uh, his clothes among them and then cast lots for his, for his undergarments. And if your clothes are gone and if your undergarments are gone, you're left with nothing there. The pictures of Jesus having any clothing on the, on the cross is for our sake, not because it actually happened or was historically accurate. Jesus went through that kind of humiliation for us. The Bible says they struck Jesus they struck him with two things. They struck him first of all with their hand. and the word there for the hand isn't a slap, isn't just a smack. It is a closed fist. It's where we get the word pugilism from. They boxed Jesus' lights out. The other thing they did is they hit him with, uh, with sticks. and the words there for that is, is they hit him repeatedly, over and over and over. Jesus was also rejected. First of all, he was rejected by his disciples. Uh, The the Bible says they they left him, they abandoned him. One of them betrayed him and the other denied that they ever knew him. I want you to think about those words, betrayal, denial, abandonment. There's some of the strongest things that could ever happen to us as human beings. And if you've ever been betrayed, if you've ever been denied, if you've ever had those things, Jesus knows exactly what you feel like. And he was rejected by the crowd before the crucifixion. He had to hear the words crucify him, crucify him from people that all he had done to them is love them and care for them and heal them and provide for them and take care of them. And he had to hear those words. But he also had to hear the mockery that was taking place when he was on the, on the cross as they were shouting things as, the, as one of the thieves mocked him that was, uh, that was dying next to him. And then the crowd shouted out and one of the mockings was, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Little realizing that what they were saying was absolutely true. He was saving everybody so he couldn't save himself. The next thing that Jesus endured was a brutal crucifixion. And when we do capital punishment, first of all, we try to make it a private event where only a few people see it. Not so with the Romans. They tried to make it the most public event they possibly could for this message. Don't mess with Rome. We also try to, to make it as humane and as quick as possible. Again, not the Romans. They drew out the agony as much as, as possible. I'm not going to go into the details and talk about, because I know there's little ears that are listening, about what is involved in a crucifixion. I just want to hear you to hear two quotes. One is from Cicero that says this, It is the most cruel and horrifying death, incapable of description by human words, for there are no words to describe it. And the the, uh, Jewish historian Klosner said this, crucifixion is the most cruel and horrible death man has ever devised. The cross should undeniably, unforgettably teach us two things. And the first is how seriously God takes sin. Sin isn't something that God, the, the righteous judge of the universe, can just wink at and pretend it doesn't happen. Otherwise, he would fail to be righteous. You know, there's a story about LaGuardia, who was the mayor of New York City during the the Great Depression. And one time he went to, to night court and watched what was going on there and watched a judge who was presiding over several cases. Well, he came up to the judge and he said, do you mind if I preside over the next case? And the judge said, knock yourself out. So he put on the judicial robes. And the first case that came before him was a woman who was accused of stealing a single loaf of bread. And the man, uh, LaGuardia, looked at her and said, what's your story? And she said this, she said, your honor, I'm guilty. She said, I I stole the loaf of bread. My, My husband lost his job several months ago and our family has come to, all of our kids have come back to live with us. And we ran out of food and we ran out of money. And sir, I stole the loaf of bread to feed our starving family. Well, then LaGuardia looked at the baker and said, what's up, it's just a loaf of bread. And the, the baker said, your honor, it, the law is the law, and what would keep everybody from, from doing that? So LaGuardia was torn between doing what was right and doing what was right, doing what was just and doing what was loving. So what he did is, is he looked at the, the, the woman and he slammed his gavel down and he said, I find you guilty and I find you $10. But then he took off his judicial wo- robe and he walked down to the front of the courthouse and brought out his own wallet and put down the $10 and said, fine, paid in full. And he said, because we're allowing this to happen in New York City, I fine everybody in here one quarter. The woman went out, came in guilty. She came out, set free, and not only with that, but with $46.50 in her pocket. To me, that's the picture of what God did. God couldn't just wink at sin and he declared us guilty of, of sinning against the God of the universe. But thank God he didn't leave us there. He took the judicial robes off and came in the form of Jesus Christ and paid the price for us. And not only paid that price for us, but has given us grace. Mercy is when we don't deserve, get get what we deserve. Grace is when we get the exact opposite of what we deserve. The Bible says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it says for all have sinned, all of us, All of us have sinned and fall short of glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. So not only does it tell us how seriously God takes sin, but it also tells us how intensely God loves us. I hope as we heard those words that maybe the the words for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son maybe becomes a little more alive to us. Because something that we know, it wasn't the Roman guards that hung Jesus on the cross. He, he allowed himself to be hung on the cross. It wasn't the nails that held him there. It was his love for you and me. Max Lucado said this, Had the soldiers hesitated, Jesus himself would have swung the mallet. He knew how. He was no stranger to drive, the driving of nails. As a carpenter, he knew what it, uh, what it took. And as a savior, he knew what it meant. And as the hands of Jesus opened for the nails, the doors of ho- heaven opened for you and for me. You know, there's the story of uh, of Evie Hill, who's an African-American pastor. And one time several years ago, he received a death threat as he was on, on the phone and the person called him and said, said, I've put uh, someday I'm gonna put a bomb in your car. And uh, and when you start the engine, you're gonna blow up to, uh, to pieces. Evie Hill hung up the, the phone and was obviously shaken. And his wife said, honey, what was that about? And at first he refused to, to tell her what was going on. And, and after a while he said, honey, this is what the person said. Well, the very next day, Evie Hill woke up and he reached over to touch his, his wife and she wasn't there. So he called out her name and she didn't answer. And he ran through the, the house yelling her name and he began to be in a panic and then ran outside looking for his wife just as soon as she came up driving his car and he knew what had taken place. He knew that she had driven his car that morning so that if anybody blew up, it was gonna be her and not him. Evie Hill said he never had to ask his wife whether he, she loved him. He knew that he knew that he knew. We never have to ask or, or question whether God loves us. All we have to do is look at a cross and see what Jesus was willing to do for us and what he actually did for uh, for us. You know, you can tell the the value of something by the by the price tag. And the price tag that you and I have on our life is the the life of God's own son. You know, Jesus said several statements while he was on the cross. I want us to, to take a look at the last one. These were the last words that we have record of Jesus ever saying before he died. It's the statement, it is finished. Three words in the English language, only one word in the Greek. It's the word teteleste, and, and again, that may not mean that much to you, that word, but it was something that people understood in that day. Because what would happen is if you were, you were in debt to anybody, if you owed them anything, you were put in what was called debtor's prison, which was maybe the stupidest thing we ever came up with, because what would happen is you would be thrown in prison until you could pay off your debt. Do you see a problem with that? You can't pay off your debt if you're in prison. And what you had to do is you had to wait for somebody else to come and pay the price for you. So what would happen is there would be a slate that would be outside your your prison door. And then uh, what it would take is somebody else, if somebody loved you enough and cared for you enough to pay the debt for you, what they would do is they would go and they would wipe away the debt that was owed. And then they would put the word teteleste over the, the top of this. Make no mistake that we... Oh God, a death that we could never, ever pay. The God of the universe, we have sinned against him. And we've, we've done this list and so many other, other things. But what Jesus Christ did is when he died on the cross and he said the word Tetelestai. what he was really saying was, all your sins that you've ever committed and ever would commit have been wiped clean. And one word is put over the top of that. Tetelestai. it is finished. And I want us that to soak in for a moment. For all of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ, what that means is there's nothing we can add to our salvation. It has been paid in full. And the word there in is is in the perfect tense. And what that means is it's forever paid. Every sin we have ever done, every sin we will ever commit it has, has already been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that sounds just too good to be true, then you're beginning to understand what grace is all about. The story I'm about to tell you was told as a true story by a missionary who served in Southeast Asia during the, the early 1900s. He served on an island, and, and when he got to the island, he and a, a, a Buddhist man hit it off and became really good friends. Well, the missionary, of course, wanted to share his faith and share the gospel with, the, with his, his Buddhist friend. But the, the Buddhist friend could not understand the concept of grace. He said this, he said, there's no way salvation could be free. There's no way, there's, we have to do something to earn it. There's got to be some things that we do to deserve it. And the missionary said, no, it's a, it's a gift from God. It's free, but it's not cheap. It costs God the death of his only son. Well, there came the time when the the missionary was about to return to the United States, and the and they were about to say their goodbyes, possibly forever. The Buddhist man came up and he handed him a package, and he said, "I want you to have this." And the man, the missionary, opened it up, and inside was the most most beautiful, uh, exquisite pearl he had ever seen. The Buddhist man said, "My son was a, a pearl diver. He was the best on the the island. He could hold his breath longer than anybody else and go deeper than anybody else." And one day he came up with, with this, uh, this oyster. But the problem is something happened. There were complications that he came up and he died an excruciating death in my, my arms. And he said, I want you to have this. It's the most precious thing I, I, I own. And the, the uh, missionary said, there's no way I could take this. It's too valuable. It cost your, your son his, his life. And the man said, I want to give this to you as a gift. And he said, well, please at least let me pay you something for it. And the Buddhist man said, don't you understand? It's a gift. It's free, but it's not cheap. It cost my son his life. And as soon as those words came out of the Buddhist man's uh, lips, he began to put two and two together. And for the first time, he understood what grace was, uh, was all about. And we need to understand that grace is free. It's a free gift from God, but it did not come cheap. It cost God the death of his only son. So what is the only reasonable thing to do in light of all that God has done for for us? The first is to receive this incredible gift that God offers us. The Bible says to those who receive him, to those he gives the right to become children of God. It's not enough just to know that Jesus died on the cross for us. We need to receive that free gift of salvation. The other thing is to be grateful for that. As we're about to, to celebrate communion, I pray that the words we're saying, I pray what we're doing, becomes more than just something rote, but we really understand the and, and take to heart what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And the third thing that we do is to, to live for, for him. He died for us, we live for him. I like the story about four people. Again, this is a true story about four people that were riding in the birth of a, of a train. And uh, two people were a man and a, and a friend on one side, and there was a, a couple on the other side. Well, one of the men on one side went into a seizure and and the uh, the the friend he he picked him up and he began to comfort him and help him and, and make sure he was okay and, and and protected him and as soon as the man calmed down the the man looked at the the couple on the other side and and said I want you to to know what happened this man this man gave his life for for me he said we were in Vietnam together and I took a sniper's bullet and I was I was left there to die I couldn't get out of the the jungle and my friend here, he picked me up and began to take me uh, through the, the jungle. And, I, and time after time, I begged him to, to, to let me go for him to save himself, but he would not hear of it. He said he took me through the jungle for three or four days, and, and I'm alive today because of my friend. And when I found out his this uh, health condition that he was going through, he said I had to, to drop everything and take, take over and, and look after him. Because after what he has done for me, there's nothing that I would not do for him. God give his life for us and we do anything and everything for him in return, not to earn our salvation, but an incredible gratitude for it. You know, uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. If you've maybe you've given your life to Christ before, but right now you're not living for him. If we could bow our head and close our eyes, I want to lead you in a prayer and repeat these words after me wherever you are, wherever you are, around the computer, around a phone, whatever it is. If you say these words sincerely from your heart, God comes in and forgives your sins and gives you a new life. And if we could pray that, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know you died on the cross for me. I know you gave your life for me. So right now, I give my life to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my life and take over. Thank you for dying for me. And now, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. And now we are about to to celebrate communion together. Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.